So as you know, we're in a, a, a series called, well, you may not know this, but we're in a series called Kingdom Recalibration. Um, and uh, we're going to be, look, we looked at last week, recalibrate. What does that mean? Why do we need to do it? Et cetera. Today, we're going to be looking at repentance or repent. Uh, next week, we're going to look at, we're going to review. Then we're going to resolve on the fourth Sunday, and then we're going to renew on the fifth Sunday. So to uh, move us along, I'd like for you to consider a historical figure that we all uh, know his name when we hear it, for he has, <clears throat> excuse me, he's one of the few people uh, that has his own memorial um, in Washington, D.C., and that is Thomas Jefferson. As you know, Thomas Jefferson is, was uh, a founding father of the United States of America. He was the vice president of uh, the country from 1790. 7 to 1801, and check this out. This doesn't happen nowadays, but the vice president ran against the president that he was the vice president for and beat him. So he became the third president of the United States in 1801. Um, not only was he a statesman for the country, he was also a diplomat. He was a lawyer. He was an architect, a philosopher, considered one of the great minds of that time, and he was much more. Uh, you, some of you may know this, but not everyone will. Um, so I'll just ask it in question form. Uh, did you know that Thomas Jefferson created his own Bible? That's right. He created his own Bible. Uh, what, what he did was that he removed parts of the Bible that did not sit right with him, he, he, which included the Old Testament, uh, miracles, um, most mention of the supernatural, any reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and any miracle that shed light on the divinity of Jesus. All of those things were excluded from Thomas Jefferson's Bible. He completed the compilation in 1820, um, and we call it uh, the, the Jefferson Bible. Now, I, I, I don't expect that anyone who's watching us or anyone who took time to come uh, would condone Mr. Jefferson's creation of his own Bible. In my estimation, this is an example of what Romans 1 talks about when it talks about humanity professing itself to be wise, but being fools and exchanging the glory of God for things that are nothing in comparison to God. None of us would dare create our own Bible by cutting and pasting parts that we affirm and discarding the rest. None of us would do that. We wouldn't do that. We know that as 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And yet, there is a sense in which we are creating our own Bible with our life. In what we call the second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote this to them. He said, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You'll find that in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. 
Now, what's true for the believers at Corinth is true for us here at The Rock. As believers, we are letters from God. And while he is writing, we are either cooperating or contradicting, and I'll say cutting and pasting what he is writing with how we're living. So I'll say that again. God is writing his letter for all to see through my lifestyle, through your lifestyle. And we're either we're either we're either confirming what he's writing or we're contradicting what he's writing by how we're living. We want to guard against and make sure that we are not cutting and pasting what God is writing so that we are not creating our own Bibles through our lifestyle. See, we're street smart enough to know that we can't just take a Bible and be like, all right, man, I'm about We know we can't do that. Therefore, we have to watch our lifestyle because our lifestyle is making a statement for all the world to see. Unfortunately, as we will see today, it is possible and probable, actually, that all of us will miss the mark as it relates to walking in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. But this probability, this possibility should not cause us to resign ourselves to living in a manner that does not uh, confirm the gospel that we embrace. Instead, what it should cause us to do is to be on the lookout for ways that we are to tweak our application of what God calls us to so that we increasingly are conformed into the image of Christ, glorifying God through our lifestyles and allowing the, the letter that is being written through our life to make a statement to all. By tweaking, what I mean is repent. So I'll use repentance, tweak, repent. They're, they're interchangeable in how I'm using it for, uh, look, using the, the, the definition from logos.com, which anybody can look up. Um, the Greek word for repentance is a compound word derived from meta, which means after, and suggesting some type of change, and nos, N-O-U-S, meaning mind. Thus, metanoia strictly denotes change of mind, a rejection of a sinful, uh, past sinful ways. It also captures remorse for sin, accompanied by a desire to turn away from one's sin and to God for salvation. Repentance, however, is not just a one-time experience. For to grow from one degree of glory to the next, we're going to have to respond to what God shows us all along the way, right? So recognition of our daily sins and shortcomings provide an opportunity for renewed acts of repentance. It is this type of repentance, the repentance that tweaks as the spirit illuminates. And illuminates just simply means to shine light or give attention to something, um, as the Spirit illuminates on areas that we need to grow in for the glory of God. This is the repentance we're going to spend our time talking about this morning. So we're going to look at the necessity of repentance. We're going to look at the potential need 
for repentance by believers. And we're going to look at one thing that repentance is not that may surprise you. The necessity of repentance. One must come to God, not only in faith, but with repentance. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, it talks about how not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So merely saying or having faith or, uh, or labeling the Lord as the Lord, good, you're off to a great start. That's wonderful. But if it does not do anything to your mind, and your mind does not have, does not, if, it's only, if your faith is only in your mind, that's not the faith that God honors. See, what's in the mind has to drop down to the feet. It has to affect what I do with my hands. It has to affect what I do with my mouth and my tongue. It, it has to affect what I do with this body because as we saw last week, we have been bought with a price. Therefore, we're called to glorify God with our bodies. We are not contrary to popular belief, our own. But those of us who are in Christ, we've been purchased by his blood. And so this passage lets us know that, that merely confessing Jesus as Lord alone, as a standalone, is not good enough. One must come to God in faith and repentance. Remember that, that without holiness, no man will see God. And we won't be growing in holiness if we're not allowing the beliefs that we have to direct how we use our life. See, it goes on to say in Matthew 7, verse, this is verse 22. Now, this is specifically talking about false teachers, but the principle is one that we should be aware of. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? all of these things in your name, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And these are people whose lifestyle did not match their confession. They called him Lord, Lord, but did not live as if he were Lord, Lord. They might be the kinds of people that Paul uh, told Timothy about when he talked about the last times in the last days in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I'll pick up at verse 2 where he says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, uh, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5 is the verse. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul tells Timothy to avoid these people. There's an old, old, old word. It's a compound word that I heard uh, recently because I was watching uh, something on Netflix. <laughs> and... And this client is talking to his lawyer, and he asked him, he said, uh, and the client was black, the lawyer was white. He says, the black man says, 
Man, why are you half-stepping? Half-stepping is a phrase my stepfather used to use like all the time. Man, don't be half-stepping. Don't be. See, imagine having your, 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 uh, your, your stepfather as like your football coach. And actually, like he was your football coach before he became your stepfather. So imagine that person like coming to, yes, right, exactly. Ha, yeah. <laughs> imagine that person coming and being, uh, look who I married, kids. <laughs> so, um, but he would always talk about like not half-stepping, right? He's not the only one who thinks that way. God thinks that way as well. We cannot have a form, something that looks good to us, but it's not good to God. And yet it is possible to do that. It is possible to have some things that look like godliness, but they are not godly because they do not, they do not embrace the power of God to change the individual. Right? So we can't, as we said we, last week, we cannot be in the presence of God and stay the same. You just are not going to do that. You're not, you're not going to do that. Your heart might be hardened. You might change in that way. Or you will submit to the glory of God. And hopefully we're like Moses, that some of that glory rubs off on us and we reflect it to the world. But as we saw last week and as we will just continue to hear, that's not how people would characterize the church of Jesus Christ today. Unfortunately, half-heartedness is consistent. That's one of the reasons why there's a necessity for repentance. For this is what Jesus said about the, if anybody looked religious, looked apart, it would have been the Pharisees, right? But they were so spiritually blind that they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. Right? They, they dressed well. They had, you know, phylacteries, which were things that where the scriptures hung down from, from their clothes. Um, they knew God's word well. They put things in place to like guard. Put, they put guardrails up. If that edge is sin, they made sure you back here. So they look holy. They look like they're serving God. But my goodness, read Matthew chapter 23 and see the things that Jesus says about them. This is the way he starts off, and he, and he doesn't pull any punches after this. He starts off, this is 21, excuse me, 23 verses 1 through 3. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do what they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Half-heartedness, unfortunately, is consistent. So there is the need to repent. Obviously, we repent first toward the Lord, but if we keep walking with the Lord a little while, we'll see that there's much that he needs to help us to forsake and much that he needs to help us to embrace. Much that we need to put off and Virtues that we need to put on that come from him. So, so half-heartedness, half-stepping even with the Lord, it is, unfortunately, it is consistent with human beings. We can be content to have a form of godliness and deny its power even as the Pharisees did. It is easier. We say, we say easier said than done, right? But it is possible to espouse what we aren't living. 
because it looks good to us. It doesn't look good to God. These verses are talking about people who seem to have relationship with God. They seem to be on the move for him. And I'm not going to read it, but I don't know if you remember the, uh, when, when the disciples were walking through, um, through Samaria <laughs> and the people in the village didn't, didn't welcome Jesus the way James and John thought that they should welcome them. And so <laughs> James and John, they know that the Lord has power. So they're like, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to like get rid of them because they're not welcoming you like the way they should? And Jesus turned and, and, and he rebuked them. He reminded them uh, uh, that that's not the spirit that they, that they are of. That's not, that's not what they bring. He, but he had to remind them. But they, they God's people. But see, another reason why repentance is necessary is because sometimes, oh my goodness, some of us that are so close to God are self, as, as self-righteous as we can be. For God. All right, James and John. Repentance is necessary. It's necessary because in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the, the seven churches that were, that were addressed, five of them were called to repent. Five of the seven. And one of them was, uh, was, was called out because they lacked love, even though they had all of their doctrinal eyes uh, dotted and their T's crossed, they still lacked love. We need to watch ourselves. So repentance is needed. It's needed. It's needed because of these things that we can be close to God, but yet still find a way to stiff arm God. We need to also remember that there's the potential. Okay, that's the reality that, okay, repentance is necessary. But how might we need to repent? Right? How might we need to repent? And I would say one of the ways in which we probably would need to repent, and, we, and, and, and the broad category for this first one is going to be pride, But we just need to watch our own estimation of ourselves, meaning how godly we think we are. We need to have the humility that, that, that leans forward to see how might I need to calibrate my lifestyle with what God calls me to. Speaking of one of those churches in Revelation The church at Laodicea, verse 17 of chapter 3 says this about what they say about themselves. Oh, Lord, help us all. For you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. 
and you don't realize, oh, Lord, help us, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I'm sorry, verse 14 started off saying this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. I think one of the things that can blind us the most might be our theology. Our theology that would think that it's impossible for us to embody the last part of this verse, which talks about how they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That is not, that is not how we think of the church. That's not how I think of the church. Anyway, I won't, yeah, I won't put that on you. That's not how I think of the church. My theology tells me something much different than, than that. My theology helped me feel real good because I've been walking with the Lord for a few decades now. That's that's what it'll do. Because half-stepping is common for human beings, right? So I can think, I can feel, I probably wouldn't use these words, I'm rich, I become wealthy, I need, again, I'm street smart enough to know, don't say that. I'm church smart enough to know. I'm theologically smart enough to know, hey, man, don't, don't say that. But if I think I'm good, if I think I know it all, if I think I'm on point, then the pride there that keeps me from leaning forward to hear what God has to say to me in terms of me being the individual that he calls me to be because I'm, I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. If I'm not leaning forward to, and if I'm not saying, yes, Lord, hey, speak, I'm listening, help me, I need you. If I'm not more aware of my need for God than I am my accomplishments in God, then something's wrong with me, not with God. And we live in a culture in which that's the case or seems to be the case. Now, I say that not because I, I, you know, I mean, I'm here every Sunday, right? I'm I'm not like going around to a lot of churches, but I do see church people or people who seem like they church people on social media. And I see the things that they say about each other, to each other, even in reference to people who I would not ever uh, uh, sit under their teaching or embrace their teaching, even the things that they say about them is like, okay, we need to remember that Paul said that he, that, that he would not even judge himself because the Lord is the judge of all. It's not my place, as one pastor says, to judge another man's servant. But if I think I'm rich, if, if I'm wealthy and I don't need anything, then I mean, hey, wh- why can't y'all be like me? Right? Why can't you attain to what I've attained to? Or surely you can attain to what I've attained to. But that's backwards thinking. Because when we start to think that way, it reveals a spiritual blindness that is not even open to being adjusted. And if we're not even open to repenting. If we're, not, if we're not even open to, there, there are certain, it's, it's interesting, the, the, the older I get, it's like, I see like, okay, well, there are times when questions need to be asked just to open up the doorway, right? So it's like, okay, we can assume whatever, but unless we ask the question, we're stuck in our thinking, our current thinking, right? 
But then when we ask the question, well, why do we do that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, um, back in the 30s during the Great Depression, we did, it's like, oh, goodness, man, the 30s, man, 1930s? So we, we have to be in a position where we are willing to ask questions that may be uncomfortable because we do not want the, we don't want to have step when it comes to God. We want to be and to reflect all that we can about God because we're here, as we heard last week, it's the church through which God is making his multifaceted wisdom known. There are other good entities out here. Thank God for them because they might make my life a little better. But it's the church. It's the people of God through whom God is making his, his, his multifaceted wisdom known to everyone. And yet it's the church who has labels that, unfortunately, that we have gained honestly, that are the furthest thing away from bringing glory to God. And we need to tweak that. We need to repent of that to whatever degree that's applicable. See, because it's, it's, this is what's scary to me about the Bible. What's scary to me is, is this. It's, it's scary that the people in, in, in Matthew 7 could say, we did this in your name and we did that in your name and we did this in your name. And then that's not the only place where you find that dynamic working. If you ever read the uh, 22nd chapter of Numbers, you'll find that there's a person named Balaam. A person named Balaam, that person, he operated in some kind of prophetic gift or divination. It looked like a gift to other people because they wanted, the, the people of Assyria wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel that were coming out of Egypt, right? So they send, they send, um, they send envoys, uh, actually it's the people of Moab, actually, they send, uh, that want, they want this done to uh, the Israelites. So they send envoys to, to Balaam, and then Balaam, he knows how to consult with God. So he knows how to go to church. He knows how to pray. He knows how to get some kind of prayer through. Because it says that God spoke to him, right? You read, it's a very interesting and intriguing, but also kind of scary joint uh, to read because God is speaking to this man. So he goes, Balaam goes to God after being asked to put a curse on the people of Israel, and God answers him. He says, you are not to go with them, meaning the people from Moab. You're not to go with them. You are not to curse this people for they are blessed. So Balaam got up. He did it. I mean, he, was, he wasn't half-stepping at first. Balaam gets up the next morning after he's consulted with God. He's like this. He's carrying it like this, man. Go back to your land. You know what I'm saying? He ain't even playing with him. Go back to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So they, they, they went back to their king and they told what, what Balaam said. And then the king, the king sent them back, sent more people back, sent more goods back, more gifts, more money, more this, more that. He tells them that, hey, man, I'm going to honor you greatly if you do this thing for us. 
This is what Balaam said, and it seemed like he was, it seemed like this brother was on the road to like glorifying God. If Balak were to give me, that's the king, um, his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Great. I mean, man, if the story ended there, man, Balaam's, his name might be in the, in, 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 in the hall of faith. But then verse 19, he said, please stay here overnight as the others did so that I might find out what else the Lord has to tell me. Balaam was so familiar with God. He could get a prayer through. He could hear from God. Man. He could hear from God. He said the right things to them until he said, stay here overnight. See, God knows. When people say God knows my heart, be careful because God knows your heart. God knew what. Please stay here overnight as the others meant to Balaam. It meant like, let me see if I can get God to change his mind. Maybe there's something else he might tell me this time. As if he hadn't heard correctly the first time. But because he was familiar with God, because God was gracious to him, and we, we need to make sure that we are not overly familiar with God. One of the problems that we have in our culture is... And I mentioned this last week, and it's just going to stay. It's just going to stay because I believe it's true. It's the fear of God is not something that we cultivate. I'm not talking about a slave. God. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. But I'm talking about the fact that God is who he is. That with a word, he can say, let there be. And then there is whatever he said, let there be. Right. And not just that, but 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 when it comes to us, when it comes to humanity, he didn't just say, let there be. He said, let us make. Right. And then he takes the, 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 the dust of the ground and he forms the, the human beings. He forms Adam. And then. Adam is just like a doll. A toy. But then God breathes his breath into Adam and he becomes a living so God is that powerful to just breathe into something and it's the complex beings that we are. The complex beings that I am. I know myself to be complex like, man, what, why are you thinking that? What are you doing? So just think about the complexity that's re represented in this room or in this city or in this county or in this world. Right? That, that's, that's how powerful of God that we serve that that these things come from his involvement. And so we shouldn't get it twisted that just because he's nice, we shouldn't, as we used to say back in the day, we used to say, don't take my kindness for weakness, right? We shouldn't take God's kindness for some weak thing that we can just treat any kind of way. So Balaam, he said, hey, stay here with me. And then um, God, God, unfortunately, if people do not repent, God has a way of giving them what they want. All of us should 
try our best not to be those people. Because it goes on to say that God says, since these men have come to summon you, get up and go with them. But you must only do what I tell you. So he got up and he went, he sat on his donkey. And then, but you know what? The, but then the 22nd verse says, but God was incensed that Balaam was going. But God only gave Balaam what he really wanted. He wanted all, <laughs> he wanted all of that reward that they were going to give him for cursing the people of Israel. And he ended up not cursing the people of Israel. He couldn't do that. But you know what he did? He told them how to make Israel fall and stumble. He was too familiar with God. As Psalm 50 says, when God's speaking to his people, Balaam thought God was altogether like him. And you know what? We might not be like Balaam, but sometimes we can think the same thing. That God is just like me. Because we're familiar with him. We take his kindness for weakness. Instead of doing that, though, instead of being familiar with God, we need to take off familiarity. Well, keep a little bit of it because he is your father. Right? You know. So, so I'm not saying one has to, has to be in opposition to the other, but I'm saying the ingredients that go into how, you, how we engage God, it needs to be... Um, a respected familiarity that, that says you're still God, you're still my Lord, just you're my Father, and I reverence you. So you get to say what I do. I'm not so familiar with you that I can say but God. I mean, we, we can talk to God, but, but God is the only one who gets to insert the but, right? You know, us being dead in our tre- trespasses and sins, but God. So he gets to do that. We should not. I think one of the things that holds us back from being who we are called to be and one of the things we need to repent of is comparing ourselves either with the world or with other believers. See, um, the, in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, the verse should be projected um, up there. Um, they, the, the, the people in Corinth, they had that problem. I don't see the verse, so I'll just read it. Um, For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. But in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. So it's not, it's not, okay, you can, you can size me up and say, well, this, that, and the other. You can size up my clothes, my house, my, my car, my whatever. If you do that, you'll always find, you can find a way that you're better than me. I can find a way that I'm better than you. We can just do that. My dad can beat your dad. You know, I mean, this, I mean we, we, we've done that from, it's in us. We compare. You know, some of us, sometimes I can fall into this. We don't like to wear what other people wear. We want the, the, the shoes that no one has or the haircut that no one has or the tattoo that no one has. We want more than any, we want more than other people have, more money, more this, more that. Comparing ourselves by ourselves, though we lack understanding when we do that. 
So when we find ourselves doing that, because it seems like it can be a natural human thing to do, we need to stop comparing ourselves with each other. And then we definitely need this. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, comparing yourself with the world, that's not even a comparison. If your life, if you, if you compare yourself with the world and think you look good, you don't know what spirit you're of, right? You need to be with the Lord. You need to get some discipleship in your life. <laughs> not just the Lord. You need his people to help you, right? That's real talk, though. That's not, and, and there's no condemnation. I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of us, all of us can remember when we did not measure up to what we said we wanted to do. And, and not just one time, right? It's in between my legs? Oh, man, it would have been nice if it just, like, didn't fall and just, like, fell but, like, stood. But it didn't. Um, so at least it's just water. Thank you. But we need to stop comparing ourselves with the world or other believers and start Comparing ourselves to the word. That's our standard. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. I could go on, but, um, and, I will, and I, will, I, will, I will say that we need to make sure that we are, we need to repent of, of putting boundaries on God. That's, that, that's, that's, that's what we put off to not have step. Don't put any boundaries on God. I mean, I said this before, but I think, but, and since I've said it, just a confession, since I've said it, I've not lived up to it. So I've said from, from up here that anytime you get a nudge to like read your Bible or to pray or to do something that draws you closer to the God, stop whatever you're doing and start doing whatever God is nudging you to do. I wouldn't get a 100% on it if I was graded on that. Now, thank God I didn't get a 100 because there have been times where it's been like, hey, man, you preach that like you need to like, like execute. And I, and I thank God for that. That's, 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 that's going to help me. And I responded to it. But I, I'm not 100%. So I want you to know, as I say this, I'm not saying that you need to be 100%. I'm saying we're striving to become more like him. We're striving not to hold on to things that we shouldn't hold on to or just have a little morsel of something that we shouldn't have or a little taste of something that doesn't glorify God. Instead, we want to put ourselves in position where we are increasingly glorifying God through how we live by rejecting any, any potential taste, by letting go of whatever it was, even if we were holding on. I mean, it is progress. It's, it's progress. It's progress to be holding on to something like this and for some of the fingers to start coming off. But at some point, I'm not going to drop the mic, but at some point, right, we need to drop the mic, right? We need to let it go. Be like Teddy Pendergrass, if you know about him. Uh, uh, in his... So on TKO, I think I better let it go. Okay. <laughs> we, 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 we have to let some things go. And we're not just letting things go to let them go. We're letting them go to let more of God in. Right? It's not just to be moral. It's to be more like our Savior, right? That's what it's about. It's, that's what it's about. It's not to impress anyone. 
but it's to become more like our Savior. It's to be conformed into his image more and more and more and more. And no, you're not going to be just like Jesus right now. When we see him, <laughs> we'll see him as he is and we'll be like him then. Right? So we're waiting for that day. But un until that day comes, we want to continue on walking in the direction he has us walking in. Right? If he says, like, hey, man, make that left, and it's like, all right, yeah, I'm making that left. All right, if it say, all right, go straight again, and it's going, yeah, I'm going straight. We want to be more like that and not for our own gain. This is for the glory of God. This world needs our God. Our God has given himself in his son, Jesus Christ, right? So he has nothing else to give. But since Jesus isn't here, we're here. And so we, by, by spending time with him, we, by making sure that we don't put a restriction and say, God, you can only come this far, or I'm only willing to do this, or, or, or no, I can never do that. No, instead, it's like, Lord, this is what you do when you don't want it, when, when, when this, because I've had to do this myself. So when you find you don't want to do something that God calls you to do, this is what you do. Lord, right now, I'm not feeling doing this thing. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I'm sorry. Would you please change my heart? Would you help me? I know you've given me your spirit so I can, I can access that. But right now, Lord, I'm half-stepping my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing myself to follow my heart rather than your spirit. Would you please help me? Because I can't help myself right now. I need your help. The Lord will answer that prayer. And sometimes, even if he doesn't answer that prayer with, with the heart changing, last week I told you about um, a time where I asked my wife for forgiveness, and I, I didn't want to. I just, I didn't want to. I mean, it was the right thing to do. And, but as I said the words, I'm telling you, it was like the Lord just put a, put a, sheet on me or something. It's like, whoosh. I just felt like, man, Lord, thank you so much that I did that. But I didn't want to. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to, man. I did not want to. I didn't. I didn't want to. To my shame, I didn't want to. I'm smiling because I know y'all understand. You, you can relate. But, but I didn't want to. But it's not about me. It's about the Lord who met me, right? That's right. That's, that's what it's about. And he'll, he'll meet us. I think we need, to re, we need to repent from telling God he can only go this far. Because we're not ready to move into what God has called us to. Because if we do that, we won't glorify God. That's the reason why people can use those. The church is irrelevant. The church is hypocritical. The church is because we put boundaries. We, we have that form of godliness. But we need to repent of that. Um, we also need to repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize ahead of time, but I'm not really apologizing or I wouldn't be saying it. You know, anytime you say, um, I really shouldn't say this, like that's a good sign that you probably shouldn't say what you're about to say. Okay. But, it, but it's, this, is, this is rhetoric right here. But one of the things that I think, and you're going to get mad because this gets into our business, 
most of the things that I've alluded to, and this is going to be the only thing that I speak to that's pretty much horizontal, but most of the things I've spoken to thus far have been vertical toward God. But I really think, especially in this day and age, we need to repent of freedom of speech. Oh, I know, I know, I know. That's not American, to repent of freedom of speech, right? I mean, that's my right. I get to say what I want. But I don't know if you were with me last week, but I, re- I told you that in the book of Acts, there were some people who, 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 who were disciples of Jesus who lived so much uh, toward him, who, op- who didn't put any boundaries on God to the point where they weren't called whatever their ethnicity was, but they were called Christians. They were called the ones like Christ. So our, 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 what we give off is not supposed to be um, American necessarily. Or if you're from El Salvador or from where, wherever you're from, it's not supposed to be just that. It's supposed to be Christian. So this verse, it has helped me to close my mouth a lot of times. And I still don't close my mouth enough. Lord, you know this. Um, um, you know this, Lord. So I'm, I'm, when I say this, I'm not saying it. I'm at Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. See, I said we can't compare ourselves with each other. We can't compare ourselves with what our culture allows. We have to compare ourselves with what? The word, not the world. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You've, we all know the dynamic now. Email's been around long enough. We, we know that, you know what, sometimes when we're feeling very passionate about something uh, that we're sending via email, whether it's a response or we're initiating it, that sometimes it makes sense to type the email up, leave it in the draft, and come back the next day and read it. Because once you send those words out, they're not coming back. They will have impact, but they're not coming back. So the way we speak to each other, the way we speak about categories of people, we need to watch that because in that area, it can be so easy to look American. It can be so easy to look Democratic. It can be so easy to look Republican. It can be so easy to look liberal. It can be so easy to look conservative. It can be so easy to look black. It can be so easy to look white. It can be so easy to look, you fill in the blank. It can be so easy. So we need to, we need to make sure that our speech is doing what it's supposed to do. So what is it supposed to do? Well, Ephesians 4 tells me it's supposed to give grace to those who hear. That, that my, my words are supposed to be seasoned with grace. I don't know if anybody cook, but everybody eats up in here, right? <laughs> so, we, <clears throat> and I'm at that point where, thank God, I mean, not thank God for high blood pressure, but thank God. <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but I thank God that I've cut back on salt intake that it's like the, the, if you put salt in there, I'm like, hey, man, what, what's going on here? We need to watch how we season our words. Are our words too salty? 
Because they can be. Instead of being salty, they need to be gracious. Even if we disagree, we can, di- we can, we can disagree in a manner that makes sense. We can disagree in a God-glorifying way. Right? We will. We probably already have. Right? We probably already have. But there, there may be things you do that I'll be like, nah, man, I'm, I'm not doing that. There may be things I do that you'll be like, mm-mm, no, nah, don't do that. So I can't, like, elaborate on that because I've elaborated on too much already, so I need to move on to, like, what is repentance not? So we've seen that repentance is necessary. We saw some of the ways in which repentance may be needed for us. Um, but what is repentance not? Repentance is not just your business. It's not just your business. See, if we, again, in Acts, their culture was called something different because they engaged with one another and the world differently, right? So it, was, it wasn't just one person because then they would have been like, hey, man, that's, that's Mike, man. He, he different. He marched to the beat of his own drummer, right? We say that about people. But that group was so different that, that there needed to be a different label applied to them. Listen to some of these passages, and I don't have time to elaborate on them, but maybe I hope that the word of God uh, impacts you. Nehemiah 1.6, let, let your eyes, he's, Nehemiah is praying to God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to hear your servant's prayer. Now, that servant's, that's singular, your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants. So he's praying for the entirety of his nation, the Israelites. I confess we have committed, I've confessed sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. So he moves from the just me to the and we. That's what he moves to. And then I didn't put this Uh, passage up there but if you read the seventh chapter of Joshua you'll see that after many great victories after great victories that God had done for the Israelites you know taking the walls of Jericho down and um, destroying that 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 uh, city that the Israelites then went to fight this this city this this people called Ai from Ai That, that, that place was so small that the Israelites were like, you know what, <laughs> man, we ain't got to send everybody, man. We ain't got to put our starting five out there, man. Just, yeah. <laughs> man, y'all go out there and take care of them. Man, not only did the AI had them folks running back to where they were. Now, they didn't run back because they were more vicious warriors. They ran back because in Jericho, a person named Achan had took some of the things that God told him not to take. And he hid it under his tent. He had that joint. Like he dug under his tent. So he's like, hey, man, ain't nobody finding this joint. And so Joshua, the, the, the leader, he's crying out to God. And he's like, Lord, why do we? And the Lord's like, the Lord is gangster. But he's like, man, why are you on the ground? Get up. It's like, it's like you, you lost because there's sin in the camp. So Achan is just one person. But the whole nation lost because of Achan's sin. Right? So repentance is not just about you. It's not just your business. You know what? We don't always, we probably rarely are able to identify things that happen within 
a church that is because of the way people in the church are living. When you don't pray, when you don't get into the presence of God, when you don't seek God the way you should, when you're half-stepping with him, that's not just your business. It's not just my business. This doesn't only apply to pastors or people who are in leadership. Achan wasn't, we wouldn't know him if it weren't for his sin. It wasn't like he was, I mean, he was the head of some family because unfortunately his family got judged along with him. But repentance is not just about you. Listen to what Daniel said. Daniel, Daniel. Now remember, we talked about Daniel last last week. Daniel is one of the people. Daniel and and Daniel is one of the people where you read the Bible and like you don't, you you don't point to Daniel to be like, yeah, God uses people who are flawed. Nah, Daniel, you don't see any flaws in Daniel. From day one, it's like, hey, hey, man, can we not eat this stuff on the king's table? Because like it's it's going to defile us, right? And he has enough wisdom to engage with the captain of the guard that he eventually does it. So I'm not going to keep going on about him. But listen, he's, he's not a person who's uh, at fault as far as we can tell. I mean, he's a human being, so we know he's not perfect. But I'm talking about scripture does not include anything negative about him. He says in 9, chapter 9, verses 5 and, five and 6 and then verse 11, we have sinned done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from you. Remember, Daniel's the one who could have prayed with his window closed, right? He keeps his window open and he prays, and then the consequences come on him, Daniel and the lion's den. So we had a nice, what we use for a children's ministry story, um, but a Sunday school story, but it was, it was real talk. Um, but he's the one who did that, and he's still praying like this. We have turned away from your commands and your ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. All Israel has broken your law and turned away. That's verse 11. Refusing to obey. You promised the promised curse written in the law of Moses. The servant of God has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. So Daniel is living in the consequence of that because he's in Babylon. He's not in Jerusalem, right? He's in Babylon because the Babylonians took over. They, they, they defeated the Israelites. But Daniel takes this all the way back to the we, not just the me, the we. He doesn't even mention we in the verses that we, me, excuse me, in the verses that we read. So my encouragement to all of us, because re- repentance is a necessity. Repentance is probably needed in, in more ways than I could articulate. But we don't get anywhere if we don't ask certain questions. So Lamentations 40, verse through 42 says, let's examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let's lift up our hearts and our hands to the God of heaven. I didn't include verse 42. And I'm not going to read it now. Yeah, I just didn't correct it in my notes. Repentance is not just your business. So what do we do to repent? First, let's apply Lamentations 3. Let's examine and probe our ways. 
and see where we need to turn back to God. Do we restrict God? Do we say, God, you can only go this far, or I'm only willing to let you do this amount to for me? And to the degree that we do, let's repent. Let our mindset change so that it affects what we do with our bodies. I would say, please write them down. Write down any ways that you need to, to repent. I would say also map out a strategy. Mapping out a strategy includes what passages of Scripture can help me in this area to not restrict God or whatever you find that you need to repent of. If you need help with verses, you know, go to someone you trust spiritually and ask them. Let them know. And that's going to be another thing. And then let someone else know about your plan so that there's a level of accountability. And not just a level of accountability, but so that there's someone praying specifically for you in that area. Right? Thank God for accountability. But man, more than you know, hey, did you do this today? Did you? I need you to be like, Lord, please move on Mike's heart. I need that. <laughs> I need that. I need that. I need God to move more than I need you to move. But you're helpful, though. You're helpful. You are helpful, though. I need you, too. Right? We do. We do need each other. But if we have to select between the two, I need God more than you. And, and you need him more than you need me, too. So just so you know, I'm not, I ain't got to twist it. But let's make sure that we, and then, and then, and then mm, when God moves us along, may we be careful to give his name the glory. Uh, may we be careful to give his name the glory. Yesterday, my wife told me about one of my grandsons. She had taken him, taken him and his um, cousins to the park, three of them. And so one of them got, got on some, some, I don't know if it was a slide. It was something where there was like a, 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 a wasp nest. And he started crying, and she wanted to know what was wrong with him. And come to find out, that little boy was just scared because something got on him. He was beside, near, a wasp's nest. And he did not get stung by one wasp. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been stung by bees a few times. Most of the time at my own, because of my own foolishness. Throwing rocks at the nest and junk like that. You know, that's, you know I mean, I, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, his grandfather just earned. Maybe I got stung enough for both of us. I don't know, but I do know this. I have to give God glory for my grandson not getting, like, just bombarded with wasp things. Because wasps are mean. Too. They not just minding their business. You ain't got to throw rocks at their nest. You just, you know, you just need to do is come in or be smelling good or something, you know? But I think, I'm like, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you so much that my little three-year-old grandson didn't get the punishment that usually comes when you're around wasps. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me. So I have to thank God for that. When God moves us along, may we be able to celebrate it as if he has moved us along. May we give him credit 
May we give him glory. May we proclaim to others that God is able because what God has done for you, he's able to do for others too. So when you tell them that God has done this for you, then God, his his capability is seen by all. His potential to do the same thing in someone else's life is seen by all. So be careful to give him the glory when he releases his glory and moves you along from one degree to the other, when he's transforming you, making you more like Jesus. Examine ourselves. Write it down. Find some scriptures to help you to take off what you need to take off and put on what you need to put on. If necessary, ask someone else if you don't know passages. And then tell somebody, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm striving to do. Can you at least pray for me and, uh, um, you know, ask me about it? One thing that I say to people uh, sometimes is, you know, people might say, hey, man, how can I pray for you? Um, And I'll tell them how I can pray. And then I'll say, so, um, you know, so you know what? Hey, when you say, like, what's up to me? Like, I know you're also, you're not just asking me, you're not just saying, like, what's up? You're asking me about this area as well. So I'm just going to assume that. Is that okay? And nobody says no. I mean, who's going to say no to that? Um, so we, we do that because our repentance is not just our business. So let's apply ourselves to do that. And then let's, in closing, Second Chronicles, this isn't going to be projected. Second Chronicles 7, 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon. This is after they had built the temple at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their lands. My eyes will now be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer to prayer from this place. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> that temple is no more, but each of us is a temple of God. So may he hear from us. May we repent where we need to repent. May we cry out to him just on the regular because there's much to pray for. And may we help each other along the way because repentance is a community project. Let's pray.